Hi, a very good afternoon to all of you. Well, it is indeed a pleasure and a joy for me to be here this afternoon to join this indeed wonderful congregation in worship and also to be able to share and fellowship with you over the Word of God. Uh, I'm not sure whether many of you are connected with me or have known, uh, been introduced to me before, but this is my first time here speaking at an English congregation. But I think many years ago, I was speaking down at the, the, the Indonesian uh, service the, uh, the other time. But really, my relationship with Bethany Church has really gone many, many years. Uh, Pastor uh, Johan and Pastor Harun has been really great friends of us. And for myself, especially because I work with them in particular uh, in the Empowered 21 movement with Pastor Nico from Jakarta and all. So, so our relationship, our friendship has gone many, many years. And so uh, when Pastor Johan texted me one day and said, uh, would you be free on the 7th April to come and speak to our English congregation? You know, whenever I get a text like that from friends, okay, I usually don't think twice about it. If I'm free on that day, if my schedule allows me and I've got that, I usually say yes. And, and because I find that the, re, the, 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 the joy and the pleasure actually and the honour that, that God gives me to be able to be connected with the family of God, you know, is such and such a wonderful privilege. So, so I'm so grateful and thank you again. I want to thank your pastors and now I met another Pastor Nico, okay? Uh, I don't know which is a better looking one, okay? Anyway, right? Uh, but... But I'm so happy to, to join you here uh, this afternoon. And I pray that, that, that the word God puts upon my heart will really be something that will minister to each and every one of you, especially. And I believe God has already prepared us for this moment. Okay? So, so today my message is going to be taken out of this scripture in Mark chapter 16, verse 9 to verse 20. Okay, if you have your Bibles with you, paper Bible, electronic Bible, and if you happen to didn't bring any Bible, well, it's on the screen also, okay, right? Uh, you can follow along with me, right? And let's read Mark chapter 6, verse 9 to verse 20. When Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, He appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom He had driven seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him and who are mourning and weeping, when they heard that Jesus was alive and that she had seen him, they did not believe it. Afterwards, Jesus appeared in a different form to two of them. And while they were walking in the country, these returned and reported to the rest, but they did not believe them either. Later, Jesus appeared to the eleven as they were eating. He rebuilt them for their lack of faith and their stubborn refusal to believe those who had seen Him after He had risen. He said to them, Go into the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And those signs and wonders will accompany those who believe in My name. They will drive out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will pick up snakes and with their hands, and when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will be placed in their hands, on, they will place their hands on the sick people, and they will get well. After the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven, and he sat at the right hand of God. Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere, and the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. Amen, amen, amen. Let us pray. Father, we thank You for Your living Word. We know that Your Word has life. And Father, today as we receive this Word, we know that, Lord, You will give us life. Father, You will meet us at our unique point of need. Each one of us come with a personal concern. Each one of us come with a personal need. But Father, You know our hearts. You know who we are. And Father, You know our needs for You. So Holy Spirit, I ask that You take full control of this time. I ask that You will move up and down in this room and You will take every thought captive in Jesus' name. And I pray, Lord, that the words from my mouth and the meditations of my heart, Lord, will be acceptable before You. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Now this afternoon, I'm going to begin my sermon this way. I need Your help, okay? Can I get a bit of your help? I'm going to do a little survey, okay? A little survey about belief, okay? So I'm going to ask you three simple questions and then you help answer for me, okay? Right? So are you ready? Okay, the first will be this. 
Will you please stand if you agree and believe that exercise is good for your health? Will you please stand, okay, if you believe that exercise is good for your health? Okay, I can see that yeah, many people believe, right? Okay, all of you, stay, 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 stay standing. Don't, don't move. Okay, the second question. Now, remain standing if in the last two weeks you have exercised a little bit. Okay? Remain standing if the last two weeks you have a little bit, you've done a little bit of exercise. Okay? Right? Okay? If not, then sit down, okay? Okay, good, good. We have got uh, quite a number, at least the last two weeks, did some exercise, right? Okay, now listen to me. Third question. The experts tell us, okay? The experts say this, you know, if you, this is what considered exercise. That means you must have at least exercised three times a week and that it must be at least 20 to 30 minutes and that you will exercise your heart to a point where you sweat a bit, okay? That is really exercise. Now, how many of you have done that in the last two weeks? If you have, you stay standing. If not, the rest sit down. Okay, for those of you who are standing, ladies and gentlemen, I want to present to you these who really believe that exercise is good for you. Come and give them a big hand, okay? Give them a big hand. I'm sure by now you know that it's something to believe and something to really believe. It's something to believe and something to really believe. And many of us know there are beliefs in our hearts, but often, often beliefs in our mind, but often it doesn't get to our heart. That's why when this coming two weeks or so, when we approach Good Friday and Easter, I think this question will come up to many of us again. Do you believe in Good Friday and Easter? Do you believe that on Good Friday, Jesus died? Do you believe that on Easter, Jesus rose again? Now, many of us will say it. But the question is, do we really believe? Now, I'm not talking about those who do not know Jesus, you know. In fact, I'm talking particularly to each and every one of us, and myself included. Do I really believe that Jesus rose from the dead? Because you see, it's something about saying that we believe. But do you believe in the risen Christ? That's why I believe today, God wants to challenge us this afternoon. As we approach Good Friday and Easter, to revisit this question again in our heart. I know many of us have said, yes, Jesus is Lord. I have accepted you as my Lord and my Savior. I know that Jesus died on Good Friday and I know that He rose from the dead on, on, on Easter Sunday. But the question is, do you really believe? Let me show you something that happened to the disciples on that very first Easter Sunday. Look at Mark chapter 16 again. And verse 9 to verse 11. And this is what it says. When Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, He appeared first to Mary Magdalene, and out of whom He had driven seven demons. She went and told them who had been with Him and who were mourning and weeping. When they heard that Jesus was alive and that she had seen Him, look at what the Bible says. They did not believe it. Think about it. Now then look at verse 11, 12 and 13. Afterwards, Jesus appeared in a different form to two of them while they were walking in the country. These returned and reported to the rest. Look at what the Bible says again. But they did not believe them either. Now I want you to picture this. These are disciples. These are disciples that have followed Jesus for the last three years. They have listened to His teaching. They've followed Him. They've ate with Him. They've slept with Him. They've seen His miracles even. And yet, when they were told that Jesus rose from the dead, the Bible tells us they did not believe. 
I want to suggest to you that the gospel writer in Mark was divinely inspired by the Lord, by God to write this scripture down for us. To particularly point us to us that indeed, even in our heads, we might believe. Even in our spirit, we think we believe. But often, the challenge is, do you really believe? And these disciples, they are not just so-called ordinary people. In fact, the Bible goes to a great extent to explain the fact that Mary, the one that brought the report, right? The Bible says she was the one that Jesus cast out seven demons. That means she had a great personal encounter with God and many people know about it. And, and because they know about her, they said, surely when Mary brings the report, I'm sure she's not telling a lie. But the Bible says the disciples did not believe. The other group of disciples, they actually walked with Jesus. They actually physically walked with Jesus. They walked with Jesus. They saw Him arisen. And yet when they brought it back, the disciples said, they did not believe. In fact, in, in, in verse 8, in Mark chapter 16, we see a, a very simple description of how the disciples were. Trembling and bewildered, the woman went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Brothers and sisters, I want to suggest to you that at that first Easter, many of these disciples were trembling. Many of them were bewildered. Many of them were afraid. They were in a difficult and sorry state. Because their leader and their master was crucified. But yet, they forgot that Jesus said to them, He will arise again. But thanks be to God. But thanks be to God. They did not stay in that state long enough. Long. They did not stay in a state of unbelief, defeat and bewilderment. You know why? Because if we go down to verse 20, this is what it says. Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere and the Lord worked with them and confirmed His word by the signs that accompanied it. Praise the Lord. The disciples did not stay in their unbelief. God turned them around. God brought them to a point where finally the Gospel of Mark closes with this victorious declaration that the disciples went out to preach, went out in, in, in full confidence and, and, and spoke and, and signs and wonders accompanied them. So the question that we need to ask ourselves is, what happened between verse 13 and verse 20? What happened between this group of bewildered, fearful, confused disciples and in verse 20, victorious confidence and gloriously declared, convicted disciples of God? What made the difference? Brothers and sisters, I want to suggest to you that the difference is this they had a re-encounter with the risen Christ. They had a re-encounter with the risen Christ. Not the teacher Christ, not the miracle-working Christ, not the, the suffering Christ, but the risen Christ. And today, I want to suggest to you that this is where God wants to lead us to. That I believe God require, calls us all to come back to that place of a re-encounter again. Not just with the teaching Christ, not just with the miracle-working Christ, not just with the, the, the disciple-making Christ, but the risen Christ. The Christ who defeated death, who is alive today. This is what uh, William Langrate said. Okay? He's a, a Christian theologian and, and philosopher. And this is what he says, Without the belief in the resurrection, the Christian faith could not have come into being. The disciples would have remained crushed and defeated men. Even, when, even had they continued to remember Jesus as their beloved teacher, His crucifixion would have forever silenced any hopes of His being a Messiah. The cross would have remained the sad and shameful end of His career. The origin of Christianity therefore hinges on this belief of the early disciples that God had raised Jesus from the dead. Brothers and sisters, therein lies the hinge pin of our faith. Therein lies the crux of what makes you and I believe what we believe 
and have the confidence in why you and I can stand and say, Jesus is not just teacher, Jesus is not just a good man, but He is the risen Lord. 1 Corinthians 15, 17 says this, And if Christ had not been raised, your faith is still, your faith is futile. You are still in your sin. In fact, 1 Corinthians 6, 14 says this, By His power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and He will raise us also. Brothers and sisters, this is where the power of your faith and my faith come from. The power that raised Jesus from the dead is alive today and is for you and for me. And that is the reason. That is the difference. That is the thing that made all the difference for the disciples when they were first encountered with the fact that Jesus died on the cross and He risen, but they did not believe to a place where they became victorious and was able to preach and go out in the world. It is because they encountered the Lord. I believe that that, 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 that few verses reminds us that when Jesus reappeared again to the 11 disciples, He moved them from just being followers of Christ to be real disciples of Jesus. He moved them from just belief to a deep, life-transforming conviction. Howard Hendricks has this to say, a belief is something that you would argue about. A conviction is something that you would die for. A belief is something that you would argue about. A conviction is something that you would die for. That's why some people would ever, have you been asked before, do you have something to live for? Right? Maybe the more important question is that, do you have something to die for? I know it is a very hard question. I know it's a very challenging question. But I believe it is an important question that all of us have to face. It is a question that we can only face if before you stand the risen Saviour. If you do not have the risen Christ before you, this question will be difficult to answer. That's why it makes all the difference. That's the main idea of my message this afternoon. All of us need a re-encounter with the risen Christ. If you want to see your life transformed, if you want to see your life changed, if you want to see your life counting for the Lord, you need to re-encounter the risen Christ again. I know some of you here today, you might have come with many challenges, many issues in your life, many challenges that you're facing, whether it's in your family, in your business, or even in your schools and in your campuses. You need to re-encounter the risen Christ. Because you see, when we come face to face with the truth and the power of the risen Christ, everything else changes. Everything else is transformed. So the question I want to ask her today is really this. The big question I want to answer in today's message is, how does an encounter with Jesus change and transform our lives? How does an encounter with Jesus, the risen Christ, change and transform our lives? I want to show you three things that will happen when you and I encounter the risen Christ. Firstly, an encounter with the risen Christ will reveal the heart. Will reveal the heart. Next slide. Okay. You can feel again. An encounter with the risen Christ will reveal the heart. You see, the heart is always the very first place where God will deal with us. Whenever we, because you see, God is holy and we are not. God is perfect and we are infinite. And, 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 and God is perfect and infinite and we are sinners and very finite. So let's look at what happened when Jesus re-encountered His disciples again in verse 14. Later, Jesus appeared to the eleven as they were eating. He rebuked them for their lack of faith and their stubborn refusal to believe those who had seen Him after He had risen. I want you to notice how amazing these words are. In fact, I want you to notice how strong these words are. Can you believe it? In that, in that, in that state of uh, the disciples, I'm sure, were still a bit shell-shocked from all that happened. The Bible tells us that Jesus rebuked them. Jesus rebuked them. And this is where we remember again, right? 
when, when, when whom he loves, he disciplines. I believe Jesus went straight for their heart. He, he, didn't, he, did, he, he knew that it was serious. right? He knew it was something that he had to address. He wants to get to the heart of the matter and to get them to, to acknowledge and realize that what was holding them back, what was holding them back in terms of their wanting to know again that Jesus is alive. And he raised two very important issues with them. Number one, their lack of faith. And number two, their stubbornness to refuse to believe. Their lack of faith and their stubbornness to refuse to believe. You see, their lack of faith is their unbelief. Their stubbornness is their, refuse, is, is their disbelief. Someone once said, the hardened heart is a fortress of disbelief. That's where Jesus was getting at. Jesus was trying to get to disciples' hardness of heart, even at that point of time. Recently, I read an interesting blog that describes the difference between unbelief and disbelief. And I think it will help us understand and examine our own heart. What is unbelief? Unbelief is simply a lack of faith in a given situation. A person hears that Jesus can heal, but he has never seen it happen, so they may not believe yet. Okay? Now, what is disbelief? Now, disbelief is different. Disbelief is when a person decides not to believe, regardless of the evidences. A person may see a thousand miracles, and rather than accepting the divine evidence, they choose to reject what is plainly from God. They disbelieve. Their dismissal, what God has done, has hardened their heart against God. This kind of hardness is a voluntary rebellion against the work of God. This is the hardness of heart that so angered our Lord. I believe when Jesus rebuked His disciples, I believe He was going for their heart. This was the hardness of heart that He, he decided that He didn't mean any words, okay? He said, I'm going to see them again and this is what I'm going to tell them. And when they look at me in the eyeball, I'm going to say to them, right, what's happening to you? Why did you not believe? Why do you stubbornly refuse to believe even these who have told you that I'm risen? You see, we need to be very careful here because we can fall into this very same trap. If you look at Peter, the disciple Peter, many of you know, I mean, he's one of those they call the loud mouth. Okay, everything, you know, when he was asked, he said, yeah, I believe, I believe. But, but often, he didn't quite fulfill what he says. Well, Peter, in one sense, illustrates unbelief. But Judas, on the other hand, illustrates disbelief. Because you see, Judas didn't want to believe and was rebellious in his attitudes towards what he saw. And I believe it's something that we need to be careful about because, you see, in these days ahead, we can fall into this very same trap. In fact, many of us, in our whole journey, after many of us, maybe even many of us who have been Christians for many years, we can actually get to this place where in our hearts, we are hardened. We know what it's like to be a Christian. We know what are the right things to do. But is our heart soft for what God has done? In fact, the evidences around us are so, so telling. Dr. Josh McDowell, some of you may know him. He was a professor and he was asked one day by one of his students, say, Professor McDowell, why can't you refute Christianity? And this was his answer. He says, for the very simple reason I'm not able to explain an event in history, the resurrection of Jesus. For a very simple reason, I'm not able to explain away an event in history, the resurrection of Jesus. You must note this, okay, as in this, this quote says, if the resurrection is not a historic fact, then the power of death remains unbroken and with it the effect of sin. And the significance of Christ's death remains uncertain and accordingly, believers are yet in their sin. Precisely where they have been before they, uh, before they heard of Jesus' name. Brothers and sisters, what I want to submit to you is this. Is that because of the resurrection, and the resurrection is not just a myth, the resurrection is not just somebody say so. The resurrection is a historic fact. And therefore, what I would call is that there will be what we call deductible conclusions. Okay? 
that you and I cannot avoid. And that conclusion is something, sometimes some of us may not even like it. But the challenge is this, we are faced with it. And that is that Jesus did rise from the dead. What do you and I do with it? That's why I can understand this scripture a little bit better now. Why Jesus rebuked His disciples. In one sense, sometimes when we hear a message like that, it is like God knocking us on the head. Talk. You know, wake up. Wake up. This is the reality of your faith and my faith. The reality of the faith that you and I have is that Jesus did rise from the dead. And we do have a, 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 a God that has conquered sin. We do have a God that is victorious, have overcome death. And that same power is for you and for me. That's why Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. But you know, every time when I believe Jesus confronts us about this, I also catch the grace of God. I also catch the fact that Jesus, although He rebukes us, He loves us. Look at how He patiently encountered Thomas in John chapter 20, verse 27 to 29. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hands and put it into my sight. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. I believe this morning, this afternoon, God wants to bring us back again to that place. To re-encounter the risen Saviour. And for you and I to make that same declaration like Thomas. My Lord and my God. We must come back to that place again and acknowledge the fact that because we have a risen Saviour, God's love is far greater and far more powerful than what you and I can imagine. Are you ready? Are you willing to allow Jesus to encounter your heart today and reveal the hardness that can be there? But the Lord says, I want you to feel again. I want you to feel again. This is what an encounter with the risen Christ will do for us. So that's the first thing. The second thing that I believe God will do for us as we encounter the risen Christ, not only will He reveal the heart, He will restore the vision. You can see again. He will restore the vision. Let's see what happened next. Let's see what happened next when Jesus then went on as He met the disciples, as He encountered them again. You will notice in, 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 in Mark chapter 16, verse 15 and 16, it says, He said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. What we see happening here is this. When Jesus uh, uh, re-encountered the disciples one more time, right? He imparted upon them a life vision, a mission, a new sense of hope, a new sense of purpose, a sense of urgency. And today as I was preparing this message for this afternoon's service, I really felt a prompting that the Lord really wanted this word for many of you here, here this afternoon. Many of us may be in that condition, just like the disciples. We're a bit confused. We're a bit fearful. We're a bit disorientated. We've been seeking God for a vision. We've been seeking God for a purpose in why and purpose of why God has brought us to where we are today. And the Lord says this, you need to re-encounter the risen Christ again. As you re-encounter the risen Christ, God will deliver you from that confusion. God will deliver you from that, 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 that fearfulness. God will give you a mission and a life call. What is this mission and life call? Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes is baptized and will be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. That's why in 1 Corinthians 15, 17, it says, if Christ has been raised, your faith is, is, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sin. You know, I want to suggest to you this, that because Jesus rose from the dead, that proved the fact that He defeated death, 
God has given us a new vision and a new mission in life. That's why in Isaiah 25, verse 7 and 8, it says this, On this mountain He will destroy and shroud the infernal all the people, the sheet that covers all the nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears of all the faces. He will remove the people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. Brothers and sisters, our lives are very different today because of the fact that Jesus defeated death. But you know, with this truth comes an urgency. I want to suggest to you, this is what Jesus was trying to get to His disciples. If you look at verse 16, He says, Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. But whoever does not believe will be condemned. You know, when Jesus gave His disciples this mission, when Jesus gave His disciples this commission, as He re-encountered them again, I believe He slipped in an important urgency to the message. He wanted to remind them that if, if it's because of this, the very fact that I've risen from the dead, I've defeated death, therefore whoever believes in me will live. Whoever does not believe in me will be condemned. I remember this story told by a pastor. One morning he went to his church on Sunday morning. He says, i got a three-point sermon for you. My number one point is this. By the end of today, millions are going to hell because they do not know Jesus Christ. Point number two. Many of you here don't give a damn. And then point number three, after a short pause, he says, many of you here are more concerned about your pastor's use of the word damn than the many who are going to hell. We may laugh about it, but in fact, there's a serious truth about this little story. And I believe that's what Jesus was trying to do with His disciples. He says, go and preach. Because you see, because I've defeated death, then those who believe in me will live. Those who do not will be condemned. I believe Jesus was slipping in an urgency of purpose for you and I. An urgency of living a life that is purposeful for God. Look at Acts chapter 20, verse 24. It says it so plainly. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus. The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. Let me read that one more time. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. I believe the work of evangelism, the call to the Great Commission, is not just another job assignment for you and I. I want to suggest to you, just like Jesus did to His disciples, why He gave the disciples a new sense of life and purpose. It's because the very commission itself, the very commission to go preach the gospel to the ends of the earth is life-giving. That's why you and I need that vision. You and I need that commission. That's why you do know that Jesus, the Bible, records for us five times the Great Commission. Many of us know, right? If the Bible says one thing one time, it's already good enough. But sometimes when He says twice, we say, oh, He's already uh, uh, more important. But do you know that the Great Commission is found five times in the four Gospels as well as in Acts? Let me show you quickly to you. Matthew 28, 19, 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all things that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, even to the ends of the earth. In Mark chapter 16, verse 15, he says, Go into the world and preach the good news to all creation. Then in the Gospel of Luke, in verse 47 to 24, verse 47 to 49, And repentance and forgiveness of sin will be preached in His name and to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are my witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have clothed yourself with power and from on high. And then in John 20, 21, And Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And of course, Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. 
I read all five of them intentionally because I want you to know how passionate and important the Great Commission is. It is not just a job assignment. I believe it is a life-giving call of life. And that's why when Jesus re-encountered His disciples another time, He was precisely to give them a new vision, a new vision of life, a new vision of purpose. And unless we do something about it, your life will not be worth it. So the application question for us today would be this. Can God depend on you? What is your response? Or maybe more important, not only can God depend on you, I believe God's call is not just a personal call, it's a call to the body. And the question could be, can God depend on us? Well, this year, Singapore 2019 is a very unique year for us. The next slide, please. Some of you may or may not have been aware, but God has been speaking to the leadership of this nation. And this year, in May 17, 18, 19, at the National Stadium, the churches from all over Singapore are united in this effort to have an outreach in the stadium to see this nation turn Godward. We call it the celebration of hope, right? Your pastors of this church have been connected with them too. So I want to just encourage you and I want you to, encourage, to be encouraged you that, that, that this is an actual opportune moment and time for us in this nation. You are, you are a body of Christ here. You are a congregation in Singapore. This is God's call for us as a nation this year. So be, be ready. Be praying for your neighbours. Be praying for your friends, you know. I know some people say, wow, the stadium is so big, you know, uh, 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 why is it such a big event? Well, let me tell you what we say. We call this personal evangelism on a mass scale. That's what Celebration is Hope is all about. We believe that every one of us, God will call to reach and, and bring a friend. And I believe as we and I do that, we're going to see this nation touch. But my point to you is this today, don't wait. This is the year. This is the year. Receive this mandate. When, God, when you come to Easter, when you come to Good Friday, encounter the risen Christ again. Let the risen Christ move your heart with a new vision to go and preach and bring the gospel. In fact, Proverbs 29 verse 18 has this very interesting word. It's found in the message version and I really like it in the message version. It says this, If people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what He reveals, they are most blessed. If people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what He reveals, they are most blessed. Brothers and sisters, I want to suggest to you, God has revealed to us in this, in this nation that this year, 2019, will be a year of proclamation. And I believe if you and I flow with that revelation, if you and I embrace that revelation, you will be blessed. Not just your church, not just your family, but you personally will be blessed. That's what the revelation of the risen Christ is all about. When we see our Lord risen, victorious, defeating death, that should be the power that moves us. God will restore your vision. And I pray you will see again. So how does an encounter with Jesus transform us? Number one, it will reveal the heart. You can feel again. Number two, it will restore the vision. You can see again. But finally, the third thing that will happen when we encounter the risen Christ will be that it will revive the spirit. You can live again. It will revive the spirit. You can live again. You see, finally, when, when we encounter the risen Christ, brothers and sisters, you not only encounter the risen Christ, you encounter the Holy Spirit. That's what it's promised to us. John chapter 16, verse 7 and 8 says this, But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the, in the wrong and sin and righteousness, with sin and righteousness and judgment. 
It is because Jesus has arisen. It is because Jesus has returned to the Father. He has released into us and He released upon us the Holy Spirit. Many of you know the Holy Spirit is not just God. The Holy Spirit is what we call God in the now. He is very present here. He is here this afternoon. He is here in our midst. That's why this message cannot close, in one sense, without acknowledging the fact that as we encounter the risen Christ, we can talk about it, we can know about it, but we must experience it even here this afternoon. That's why it's important for you to know that the risen Christ will revive the Spirit within us. That's why Mark 16, verse 17 to 18, then closes with this, And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons, they will speak with new tongues, they will pick up snakes with their hands, and when they drink deadly poisons, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on the sick, and they will get well. That is the result of encountering a risen Christ. A Christ that has not just laid in a tomb and stayed dead, he is alive today and the Holy Spirit is His, his, his instrument that will manifest Himself as a sign to us even right here this afternoon. And not only here in the four walls of this beautiful auditorium, but out where you are, where you're in your family, in your workplace, in your schools. You have the risen Christ with you. The Holy Spirit is available. In fact, Jesus goes on to remind us that as He goes, you and I can do greater things than Him. John 14, 12-14 says, Verily, I, truly, I tell you, whatever, whoever believes in Me will do the works I've been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. Now, if Jesus has gone to the Father, then these words are true. You and I can do greater things. And I will do whatever you ask in My name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask Me for anything in My name and I will do it. Isn't that power in there? Isn't that dynamite in those verses? That you and I have that ability to call upon the name of Jesus and He will do it. And Jesus promised us what? We will do even greater things than Him. You know, recently I just came back from Vietnam. Uh, in my job role right now, I travel quite a fair bit. I had a wonderful privilege to visit with some of the churches there and meet up with some of the pastors there. And I had a very beautiful uh, dinner one night, uh, one lunchtime, uh, with one of the brothers that were there, one of the pastors that were there. His name is Pastor Mark. And I, I sat down with him and I said, Pastor Mark, tell me your, your, your testimony. You know, he's a Vietnamese, okay? Tell me your testimony. And, and what he shared with me blew my mind. He comes from North Vietnam, okay? Now, many of you know North Vietnam, before the, the, the liberation was, uh, uh, before they, 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 they were liberated fully, they were mainly communists and, and uh, he grew up as in, in, indoctrinated as a communist, meaning that he was told, don't go to church, the church is bad, you know, Christians are bad people, Christians are Westerners, you know, don't ever encounter them. So he grew up in a village, he was very poor and then finally when the war was over, his parents was able to send him over to Malaysia to work. So he came to Malaysia to work in one of the factories down there, in one of the production factories, and, and he started working there. But being a man of, uh, uh, being a, uh, a man as who he is, he started getting himself into trouble. He became addicted to gambling. He became addicted to smoking. Okay? He was a chain smoker, right? And he was gambling so much that he was in such great debt that he says, I got to a point where I had to give my ATM card, my cash card to the loan sharks, literally. So every month, his salary, they just go to the ATM and draw money just because he owed so much money. So he came to the end himself. But anyway, he was still a stubborn man, you know, and, and, and he says, I never thought about the church. I never thought about Christians. And I always believe that if, you know, I, I will run away and it will give a lot of people trouble with Christians. One day, his friend, okay, who works with him, tricked him, okay, and invited him to church on Sunday afternoon. He came to this meeting and he says, Hey, this is a church. You tricked me, right? And he got so angry, okay? He got so angry. He says, I will never come in again. Why? I want to leave now. So, so the friend persuaded him, Come, come down, come down. Okay, if you really don't like this meeting, next week don't have to come again. 
But today, just sit down, okay? Right? Finish, and then after that, we will go home, and I won't invite you again. I won't bluff you again, okay? In a sense, okay? So, so he went home that weekend. Well, he was still very angry with his friend. He continued to you know, just say, oh, why did you bring me here? But next Saturday, Sunday morning, he said this. Suddenly, he felt in his, his body, he said, very uncomfortable. I need to go to church. He was shocked himself. So he called his friend. His friend, can you bring me to church? The friend nearly got shocked. He says, last week you scold me already. Now he asked me to bring you to church. So, true enough, the friend brought him to church that, uh, that, that Sunday afternoon. He sat down, listened to the message. The pastor came and talked to him, prayed for him, blessed him. Right? He didn't accept Christ then. He said, I was just listening and, 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 and all. And then the pastor told him, he says, you know, if you want to believe God, don't trust me. Trust God. You just ask God to show Himself to you and God will show Himself. So he, in his own head, he said, he just said that little prayer. He says, God, if you are real, uh, show yourself to me. And he went home. He went home that evening, he slept. Next morning, he woke up. He was renting a, 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 an apartment with his friend. Okay? He went to sit down at the breakfast table. Right? And as he sat at the breakfast table, his friend took out a cigarette and smoked. And when the friend took out a cigarette and smoked, the smoke went past his nose. He vomited. He started vomiting and immediately he remembered that prayer that he prayed in church. God, if you are real, show yourself to me. From that moment on, he was delivered from his smoking. And from that moment on, he gave his life to Jesus. Can we praise God? Now, he's a pastor. When I heard that story, I said, God, isn't that awesome? You know, actually, this is what it's all about. Sometimes we think to share the gospel with me, I must sit that person down. You know, you better sit down, listen to me. This is what the four spiritual laws, this is what God says. You know, take out your Bible. The best gospel presentation, I believe, is this. Tell your friend, if you want to find God, ask yourself. And God will reveal in fact, that is what is happening. And let me tell you one, one more story. One more story. I just, last July, I was in Lebanon, Syria. Okay? In the Middle East, this is very common now. The testimonies that we get from the churches there is not because somebody goes and preach, you know. It's because Jesus appeared to them. So I went to this church meeting and there was this young lady who testified. It says, you know how my family and I came to know Jesus? She said this, one day I came to this church building they talked to me about Jesus. I didn't believe it. So I say to God, God, I want to challenge you. If you are real, you heal my brother now. And when she said that, in a few minutes, the mother in Syria, okay, she's in Lebanon, okay, right? In Syria called her and says, hey, something is happening to your brother. Something is happening to your brother. He looks like he's being healed. And true enough, the brother was healed that moment she prayed that simple prayer. God, if you are real, remember she's not even a Christian there, no? He was healed. And guess what? That night, she said, my mother, who has never heard about Jesus, got a dream. And Jesus appeared to her and told her, what your daughter went through is real. Do not be worried. I will save your whole family. Come on, can we praise God? These are the stories that are coming out from the Middle East. These are the things that are happening. Not because of anything that you and I can do. Not because of the methods that you and I have. It is because of the risen Christ. It is because Jesus is alive. And that the best thing that you and I can do for our friend and for our pre-believing neighbours and our pre-believing uh, uh, family members is to tell them, if you really believe in Jesus, if you really want to find Jesus, ask. Because the Word of God says so, right? If you seek me with all your heart, I will be found. If you seek me with all your heart, I will be found. Hebrews 13.8 says this, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. This is the basis of how you and I are to encounter the risen Christ. 
Brothers and sisters, as we come to this Good Friday and Easter weekend, I think it is very important for us, no matter whether you're a Christian for a few months or whether you've been a Christian for many, many years, I myself included, we need to re-encounter the risen Christ again. Because when we re-encounter the risen Christ, in the reality of the truth of that word, that He is indeed alive, He is a fact, He is a historic fact in history, then you and I have the confidence that our faith is not futile. Our faith has power. Our faith has victory. As we encounter the risen Christ, number one, let God reveal your heart. You can feel again. Number two, let God restore the vision. You can see again. But finally, let God reveal the Spirit. You can live again. That's why in this end, I just want to just close with this chorus of this very famous hymn that some of us have sang over and over again, but I'm not sure when I look across the congregation sometimes now whether they actually remember this hymn. He lives, He lives, Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, He lives, salvation to impart. You ask me how I know He lives. He lives within my heart. Let's do that chorus again. He lives. He lives, He lives, Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, He lives, salvation to impart. You ask me how I know He lives. He lives within my heart. Can I invite us all to stand right now? I like the music to play in the background. I want to give you a moment to close your eyes. And I want to give you a quiet moment right now to encounter the risen Christ. For some of us, we can picture Him standing beside you. He is not dead in the grave. He is here. For some of you, you can feel Him in your heart right now. You can feel Him encouraging you, loving you. For some of us here today, the risen Christ has given you a new vision. A new vision to believe Him for the salvation of your household. A new vision to believe Him for the call that He has given to some of you to go to the nations. But most of all, today the Lord wants to just stand before you and I to take away that hardened heart. So let's repent. Let's repent of the fact that we have just believed but not really believed. And today as we do that, ask the Lord to do a new work of refreshment again in our spirit. Let the Holy Spirit come and be real to you. As you go back to your work, as you go back to your families, as you go to the bus stop or the train station or as you go back to the marketplace let the Holy Spirit reveal Himself fully to you but I know I cannot close this service without one special invitation in fact the Lord tells me that there are a few of you who have come to this service today with exactly that same question Lord if you are real show yourself to me so in a moment, I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer. 
This is what we call the seeker's prayer. Where we just say, God, if you're real, show yourself to me. Show yourself to me. So if that's you, why don't you pray along with me? And for the rest of us too, I believe it is not difficult for all of us to join in also. To pray this prayer, say, God, if you are real, show yourself to me. So why don't we say this together? Dear Lord Jesus, Today, I understand that you are real. Please show yourself to me. I want to know you. I need you. Please help me. Reveal yourself to me. In Jesus' name I ask. Amen. I believe God is showing many of you whether now or even as you make your way home, the reality of who He is. But later on, I want to encourage you to come and allow us to pray for you. And just like my friend, Pastor Mark, when the pastor prayed for him, God did something in his life that helped him change his life forever. But today, I want to just extend another invitation. And the invitation is this. The Lord says that there are some of you here. This week, one of your business deals did not go through. And you've been very discouraged. You've been very fearful for yourself, for your company, and even for your family. We want to pray for you. You come. After when we sing this closing song again, you come forward and we'd like to pray a blessing for you. But today, we cannot go also away from this service without seeing the reality of the risen Christ. And so the Lord says to me as I was preparing that some of you here have got a back pain that is because of misalignment of your muscles and your bones. You come forward. The leaders of this church want to pray for you. And we will believe God will heal you and demonstrate His power today as a sign of His hand on your life. And then thirdly, there's a group here whose eyes, on the left eye it seems that you have been having blurred vision. Okay? You come forward and we want to pray for you. We believe that there will be healing. Okay? So can we just sing this again? He lives, He lives. He lives, He lives. Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, He lives. Salvation to you ask me how I know He lives He lives within my heart I, I think this is how we'll end, okay? I still want to pray for those who want to come and respond to the, the, the altar call so if you sense that this word that I've spoken had, had a word for you, I, the pastor is here to going to pray for you. We're just going to take a few minutes uh, and just praying this blessing for you as you come forward. Okay, so, so I don't know if you have a, a closing song or something like that, uh, a response song. Okay. Uh, okay. And it's, okay anyway, we, maybe we can sing the verse. Uh, Christ is enough. Come, come, you come. You come forward. We'll pray for you. Yes. I know God is here. I know God is here. Come. Come, respond to the Lord.
like to invite the leaders to come forward and lay your hands on these and pray for them. For those of you who have been in front, I want you to lift up your hands. If some of you are here because you are here because of some of the words that have been given, just share with the person praying with you. You know, if it's for your back, uh, that you want to be healed, if it's for your eyes, or it's because of some of these concerns in your heart about your, 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 your business deals that, that didn't come true. Uh, I just believe God that God will heal. God will heal. His presence is here. And, and for those of you who have come because you say, God, I want, I want to seek your reality. Today, I want you to just lift up your hands right now and, and we'll pray for you. And I will pray. I'll pray a prayer for, for all as we continue to worship the Lord, as we continue to bless Him. Father, we know that you are here right now. Lord, I pray the reality of your presence right now to come and touch these who have come to the front right now in Jesus' name. Lord, you, you have, you have uh, uh, shown yourself real in their lives. And I pray that you will bring healing right now. You will bring healing upon them. And I ask that, Lord, your hands be closed upon them. And that you will bring that, 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 that restoration upon their heart right now in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Amen.